My dear friends, it gives me great pleasure to spend a few minutes in the Word with you this morning. You know, it dawned on me, uh, this has been a really hard year, and it got a little bit harder the day before yesterday, and it was like the last straw. This has been a hard year. The COVID year is one we are never going to forget. In fact, uh, disasters have a way on young people of impressing themselves on their brains as kind of defining how they think about the world. So if, um, if you were a, a, a young person in the 50s, you will never forget the polio epidemic. It dominated everything. Everybody was terrified of polio, simultaneously terrified of nuclear war. Every public building in the 1950s had a great big yellow and black sign in it with upside down triangles. You know what that meant? Where you go as a nuclear fallout shelter. I'm serious, every building, including schools. And that, that dread of nuclear war and that sort of loathing and fear and resentment of Soviet Russia dominated people's thinking in the years of the Cold War. In the 60s, we were traumatized by the assassinations of the 1960s. And people never, never forget those days. The assassination of President Kennedy and of his brother Robert and Martin Luther King are things that impress themselves deeply. And although in some ways it's like remembered as like the hippie era and uh, the birth of rock and roll and the summer of love, the assassinations were much more of a trauma and they lingered in people's minds. The, in the 70s, what stuck with people, it, the 70s were like a lost decade economically. Um, the stock market, I don't think, gained a dollar over an entire decade. In 1973, the Arab oil embargo uh, suddenly made gasoline explode in price, and there were shortages and lines, and everybody was just on edge. The 70s were a cranky decade. Uh, if you are old enough to actually remember them, be glad if you weren't there. It was, it was a decade best forgotten, not to mention the worst of it were the atrocious fashions for men's clothing. I, I am embarrassed for the photographic record that yes, I was alive in the 70s. I'm trying to seek out and destroy every one of them. Uh, and the rest I will have to deny and accuse them of being body doubles. That, those are not really my clothes. Those are, that is an actor who was portraying me. Well, you, I could go on and on and on. You know, the explosion of the Challenger, the financial disastrous collapse of 2008 traumatized people trying to enter a workforce uh, when the economy had gone down like this. 2020 is going to be one of those. Uh, if you are high school or college age, these, it's going to define how you look at the world. And it's, it's defined in, in lousy ways. First of all, it's a health crisis, and we're still in the middle of it. You're all looking back at me with your masks. I can't I, you're, you're all a bunch of strangers to me. Um, you're like all bank robbers to me. I can't see your face. You can't smile at me. Smile behind your mask, would you, just to pretend? I felt nothing. We're in the middle of a health crisis. It's pushing not only some elderly people over the edge, but it's, it's affecting people at younger and younger ages. And in a in about 20 minutes, we're going to be praying for our president. The president of the United States has been struck by this. 
We're never going to forget the COVID year. We're never going to forget what it's done to our economy. The New York Times said this last week that probably half of all the restaurants in New York City are going to be closed within six months. What? Yeah. And entire swaths of industry, travel, hospitality, are just being wiped out. Delta Airlines is bleeding money. They'll be bankrupt shortly. They will not be able to borrow any more money to stay alive. It's been a political nightmare. You know, I used to say every four years, I'll be so glad when this election is over. I'm not allowing myself any such panacea, any such happy talk, because I don't care what happens, whichever way the election goes, the fight isn't going to stop. People are going to be arguing and assuming there was fraud. Uh, because of the mail-in ballots, there may be significant numbers of states who announce their uh, electoral results late, and of course their number of electoral college votes late. And we might not have clarity on November 4th. Wouldn't that be a nightmare? Like it, the, the political arguing is just going to go on and on. And it's not just arguing and debate about ideas. It's our politics in America get more personal every year. It's killing me. I hate this. I don't like living in this world, uh, this political world. And it, it, it seems to get worse instead of better. The rancor and hatred is not just I disagree with you, but your ideas are so offensive to me. You are a weasel and a loser. It's, it's personal now. And then on top of that, as I said the day before yesterday, finishing it off as though all those things, the political blowback. Oh, and I, and I didn't even mention what a horrible racial year it's been for relations between uh, people of different ethnicities and races. It, we've gone backward. We've lost like 25 years of racial progress and have backslid. And, and the racial misunderstandings, resentments, fears, suspicion, and overall racism are just seem to be as great now as they were 25 years ago. It's just just makes me want to rip my hair out. It's just what happened to us? How, how bad really are we? Why cannot we grow closer to one another? Now we've drifted apart. And the bitterness now, especially I feel especially bad for people who are aware of social injustices in the way our government has administered its policies as expressed through its policing and grieve for the policing who feel so hated in the very communities they are risking their lives to try to protect. How do we get out of that hole? And then that leads me to Friday. As uh, Carol and I were driving home, we were parked at a, or stopped at a stoplight and there was a clear red light, it turned red and a car just came blowing right past us to the right of us and just went blowing right through the red light. And this is not an isolated instance. Have you seen this? Raise your hand if you've seen people ignoring traffic signals. What's wrong with us, for Pete's sake? Are we children? Is life a video game where if you get killed, it doesn't matter because you get reborn or respawned right away? What? What's wrong with us? Over. People have no care for anybody else. How dangerous that is. In fact, uh, about 
A year ago, we were driving down Walnut Street and some car came flaming past us, weaving around traffic. And I said, the lights red up ahead. He didn't care. Went driving right through and we heard an immense crash and saw two completely wrecked automobiles um, as we snuck past and tried to get out of that horrible snarl. It's deadly dangerous. Why do people do that? It is because they're addicted to self so severely they have no interest in the well-being of the human beings around them. The world, more than ever before, needs you, needs Christians. But Christians, not just whose faith is a private personal thing and invisible. Invisible faith, according to James, is no faith at all. And these are hard words. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to belittle you or knock on your personal style of how you live. I'm not trying to judge you necessarily. What I'm saying is I'm just passing on a message from Jesus' brother James. An invisible faith is no faith at all. It automatically, real faith, automatically produces fruit, which is faith made visible. Ways in which it is detectable that you are a believer and connected to your creator, redeemed by Christ, the son of God, and you believe in that redemption, that you have been converted to faith by the spirit working through the word and empowered and gifted, and that you have now chosen to express your faith visibly. Our world needs you more than ever before. In 2020, on top of all of that litany of bad things I just enumerated, will become a good year if it inspires Christians to stay engaged and to live their faith. Because all of those things I just listed can be eased by Christians living out their faith. Showing up and living out our faith on behalf of racial reconciliation, who better than Christians can help bring people together over the racial divide that is killing us? Who better than us can help people to cope with the health struggles that through our works of compassion, love, intercessory prayer, and assistance to people whose lives have been devastated by COVID, that we can give people emotional and spiritual strength to keep fighting and hang in there. People traumatized by economic stress, who better than Christians knows? The Bible, especially the book of Proverbs, has laid out a wonderful guidebook on how to manage your finances, how to look at money, and how to build a sustainable life. And uh, Financial literacy, unfortunately, is not built into the software in our brains. It has to be learned. We have a wonderful opportunity, I think, to teach and mentor the great sound principles of Scripture of how to handle your life economically. I'd like to invite you to take your Bible and look with me uh, and turn to the book of James for some inspiration, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, James is going to get right in your grill and demand of you to show up. James, there's no paint or varnish on James's words. There's no perfume. Uh, there's no uh, artsiness. There's no gilded frame. They're, they are, his words are blunt. 
two by fours smacking into our lives. It's a, like a punch and a kick. He's, he's in your face and does not apologize for it. He doesn't make suggestions to you. If you read the book of James, it's mostly commandments. It's, it's sharply worded instruction coming from God. And this made it a little hard for the book of James fully to be embraced as one of the canonical books of the New Testament. I won't lie to you. Uh, even Martin Luther himself had some real reservations about James because he hardly talks at all about the gospel, the shed blood of Jesus Christ that brings us the forgiveness we need, turns the smile of God's favor on us, pours the blessings of the Spirit into our hearts for conversion and, and uh, sanctification and then guarantees us immortality. You don't hear about the, the blood atonement in James. And the reason is the same reason that his brother chose the approach he did for the Sermon on the Mount. You don't hear the Sermon on the Mount talking about uh, the intercession of priests, the priestly sacrifices, and uh, the, the gift of the forgiveness of sins through the death of a substitute. That's assumed. It's not that it's not important, but it's assumed, and we're on to the implications. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is about the implications of the gospel, not the gospel itself. So I'm not going to be talking much to you today about the gospel because James doesn't. However, James just has just a little. And if you found his book, if you're in your Bible, look at two quick little verses in the run-up just to show the, what he's basing his words on. The first will be chapter 1, verse 18. Here's how you became a Christian. He chose to give us birth. This is talking about our Heavenly Father. He chose to give us birth. How? Through the, what? Word of truth. The Word of God is the power to convert. You cannot convert yourself. The Word of the Lord is what changed you around. But why? Immediately, James gets to his, his burden, his, his message. Why did God convert you so that you could lie around, live, live like a pig and enjoy yourself knowing you're going to heaven because uh, you've said, I, I can sign off on the Apostles' Creed? No. Why did he give you birth? Read the last half of that sentence with me. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So you were redeemed for him to claim you as children, but then to be put to work, to become useful to him. And a second, a little phrase I'd like you to look at as a springboard is the first verse of chapter two. My brothers, James says, and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and then come the conclusion. So it's not about the description of the gospel of the atonement, it's the implications. That's what he wrote about. And because Martin Luther himself had such a struggle with the work righteousness of the church at his time, and he so inhaled the, the glorious freedom of the writings of Paul, once again, to focus on Christ and that we are saved 100% by grace through faith. James is... Uh, uh, sharp tongue about works kind of freaked him out a little bit. He wanted to see more gospel. James is not telling you the whole story, but then neither does the Sermon on the Mount. It's not intended to tell the whole story. 
It's intended to poke at hypocritical Christians who only talk the talk and then their faith becomes invisible. Walk your talk. That might be the, the theme of James. All right, now that's enough preliminaries. Now let's dig into our two paragraphs for today. Slide ahead, if you would, to chapter 3, verse 13. And here is James's take on wisdom. Who are the smart people? How do you show if you get it, that you're not an idiot, if you're on top of things, if you understand the origin of your life, the purpose of your life? Who is wise and understanding among you? Man, everybody wants to be wise. Nobody wants to be a loser. Nobody wants to be a dummy or a dope. So who's wise? So who are the smart people? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done. Here's a, a word he chooses as an umbrella to cover everything else. In the humility that comes from true wisdom. Humility. But if you harbor, now, see, here's what you're born with. This is what, this is why 
protest marches, trying to protest a social injustice, turn into orgies of graffiti, window smashing, and looting, destroying businesses and bringing about protest, claiming to protest injustice, bringing about even more injustices. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. This is what is at war with us, what we must fight against. This is why humility is learned behavior and chosen behavior, because it just is not instinctive. This is instinctive. To look at people who have more than you and be bitter about it, to be envious and jealous and scheme for ways to shame them, get back at them, or ideally, best of all, confiscate their stuff and somehow get it, control of it yourself. Or if you can't do that, at least spray paint it or smash its windows and try to steal its merchandise. Selfish ambition, you know, takes, takes a basic, something is basically good. Ambition in and of itself is a good thing. I am glad for every student who is not gonna settle for a first grade education, but will then go on into second. Okay, you can add single-digit numbers. Now you'd like to learn how to add double-digit numbers. And then we'll move up to triple-digit numbers. And then, guess what? We're going to do subtraction and we're going to learn about division and multiplication. And soon enough, we're going to be doing cosines and tangents in trigonometry. It's cumulative. You don't stop. I like ambition. God likes ambition. But it's so easily warped into selfish ambition. What makes that bad is it justifies stepping on other people so that you can get a little taller. These are the poisons that come from within. These also provide the platform for you to demonstrate that your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ is real. Real faith transforms not only the verdict on you from God, but it transforms your attitude. That instead of saying no to God, you say yes. Instead of saying, what do, what am I going to do for me today? Your first thought upon popping your eyelids open in the day, or maybe even doing it while your eyes are still closed, is saying, Lord, what have you got for me today? How may I serve you today by serving other people? Such, quote, wisdom, bitter envy and selfish ambition, that doesn't come from heaven. It's earthly, earthbound, meaning mortal. It's, it's dying. It's unspiritual. It's not from the Holy Spirit. It's anti-Holy Spirit. And it's of the devil himself. It's like kissing the devil on the lips when you allow bitter envy and selfish ambition to cook in your heart. From where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder. A guy flaming past us, blowing through a red light, basically giving a giant middle finger to the, all the other travelers in the rest of the city. I don't care about you. I don't care about pedestrians. I don't care about somebody who might be coming down the street and think, I've got a green light, I can proceed. I don't care about anybody but me. That's what it leads to. It leads to people who are marching saying, when do we want justice? We want it now. And then taking a brick and throwing it through a window. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, where you find disorder in every evil practice. All right, here comes now, uh, this, this second little paragraph makes me think of the NCAA tournament. 
was. We are now going to run into the Elite Eight. You know what the Elite Eight are, right? The last eight teams standing in the tournament. Here are the Elite Eight ways. Here are now crystal clear examples of the behaviors that God wants you to learn about and to choose, knowing that these things will not take care of themselves. They must be chosen. But these choices are not optional for you. James will not let you get away with looking at this as a cafeteria menu. He says, faith, so-called faith without works is dead. He just lances the hypocrisy of Christians like you lance a boil. So let him talk to you in this blunt language. This, this might be a little hard because his words are just so jabbing, but God put them there that you need to listen to, and I need to listen to even more than you. Verse 17, the wisdom that comes from heaven. Here is God type of thinking, in other words. That's how we'd explain it to you. This is godly thinking. First of all, in the elite eight, number one is pure. That we would choose to set up our value system based on the Bible instead of the materialism we see all around us as far as the eye can see. The idols worshiping stuff rather than God and chasing after things rather than becoming servants of people. Then peace-loving. Children on a playground watching a fight are usually excited and energized. Fight, fight! Because they fantasize of letting go the beast within. We've all got a beast within that wants to come out. And it's kind of exhilarating in a sick sort of way to see people going crazy because you think, I wish I could do that. That's why so many people, I think, are discharged their firearms. They like the wildness. You are called to be peace lovers. Where can you lower the temperature in your life? Where can you model listening skills? Listen first. Where in your life are there conflicts going on where you can approach it by saying, I might not understand everything going on here. Maybe I should ask some questions first before I form my judgments. What a concept. That is learned behavior. It's chosen behavior. The easy thing to do is jump to conclusions, ride with your prejudices and biases. That's the easy thing to do. The hard thing is to challenge your own assumptions and say, well, I could be wrong. I could barely make my mouth say those words because I like to think I'm always right. But I might be wrong. Every husband and wife should practice that every day. I might be wrong. Maybe I should ask some questions and listen first. My assumptions might be faulty. To become a peace lover and a peacemaker and a peace bringer, you have to choose to admire reduction of conflict rather than going, ah, fight, fight. I feel sorry for all of you who might work any, in any way in journalism because you know the slogan, don't you, of newspapers uh, and especially of how editors arrange their articles on the front page and how big they make the typeface of the headlines. 
Do you know the saying in the newspaper world? If it, if it bleeds, it leads. If you, raise your hand if you've heard that before. Nope, only a couple of you. Okay, you learned something new today. This is, this is big. No, I'm, I'm not making this up. This is big in the newspaper industry. And of course, it's carried over into the clickbait industry and the online world as well. If it bleeds, it leads. Violent emotions, disasters, people sick, wounded, bleeding, dead, make people want to read the articles or, or attract clicks. It's because people gravitate toward a fight, towards conflict. And uh, that's part of what makes our political situation so difficult, is the media feeds it, and people flock to it, and they read it, and which makes them give you more argument, which makes more people click in. You and I can dial it back. And personally today, maybe start by deciding you don't hate people of a political party other than yours or who are going to vote, who you figure out are going to vote in a way different from you. You could decide right now not to hate them and to assume that they have good hearts and don't judge them. Maybe listen a little more. That would be one tiny example of being careful of your political discussions. Consider it. Consider it means you choose to think about other people around you instead of only thinking what's in it for me. That is learned behavior. That is chosen behavior. Because the, the software you're born with in your head directs everything to your self-interest. Let your faith in Christ inspire you to paying attention to what your words and deeds, what impact they may have on other people. Submissive, and you think, what? Submissive? Who on earth makes that an admirable trait? I have learned after as long as I've lived, you gotta be aggressive, go for it. You gotta take what's yours. You gotta insist on your rights. And boy, that just metastasizes into a whole feeling of entitlement and a lot of really nasty behaviors. The Christian way is for you not to resent the people who have leadership over you and to give them your cheerful cooperation. If you're on a committee, rejoice that you have a chair. Look at your boss and instead of bad-mouthing her or him, try to find ways to make your boss's life easier and do the tasks assigned to you without arguing or backtalk. That doesn't mean you're a wuss. What that means is you've chosen to let go of some of your independence for the good of the larger enterprise. That you can allow someone else's agenda to be your agenda. Frankly, all businesses will collapse unless that concept is lived out. You cannot have a business enterprise without instructions being given and where people do what they're directed to do by a boss. You are basically unemployable if you can't learn how to submit to a boss. And I think that's one of the sicknesses that is hurting the employment prospects of a lot of young people in our city who have not learned how to, in a proper way, to choose to be submissive and to do what they are being told. That doesn't show that you don't have a brain in your head or that you're not allowed to have any opinions. It means that in a spirit of cooperation to build a team means there has to be some kind of decision-making authority and structure in order for the enterprise to achieve its goals. And so I'd encourage all of you to check 
on how sharp your tongue is and what kind of pushback you have against the leadership in your life. Uh, 50% of you are going to be bitterly disappointed by whatever happens in the election. I I would guess uh, we are very diverse politically in our congregation. And yet the very first thing I know I need to do is pray for our president, whoever, whenever we find out who the next one's going to be, uh, whether I like it or not, whether I voted for him or not. Number six, or excuse me, no, number five, full of mercy. Number five of the elite eight. This is such a big deal. We all want forgiveness of our sins, right? Am I right? We all want our slate to be cleared, free, right? Love it. Are you willing to give free and full forgiveness to the people who have injured you? Are you willing to let go of all your debts that people owe you? That's harder, isn't it? Jesus says that in the Lord's Prayer, and we always have our fingers crossed. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sit against us. And you always want, almost want to add, yeah, right. How can you pray that prayer and have one single grudge and one single bitter thought left over? I know why we do, because I do. But I got to work at that, and so do you. Mercy means you not just welcome forgiveness to you, but you welcome God's forgiveness to be expressed through you. Let it flow through you like a river. Good fruit. That sums up the fact that your faith needs to be visible. There needs to be evidence to convict you if you're ever accused of being a Christian in court. Impartial, what a, what a great word. It means you get rid of your biases, get rid of your prejudices, get rid of all your judgmental thoughts and your blanket sweeping statements about other people. Impartial means you choose to listen first. Impartial means you can say in all sincerity and honesty, I might be wrong. What have you got? Bring me your point of view. Let me hear your point of view. And you weigh evidence instead of going with your emotions. Finally, sincere. Number eight is sincere. The Greek word unhypocritos means you're not a hypocrite. You actually mean the words you're saying. And this is a big deal for Christians because it costs you nothing to say hallelujah. Praise to the Lord. It costs you a lot to humble yourself and act like a servant from day to day. But be unhypocritous. Get rid of the hypocrisy in your life and mean what you say and walk your talk. And then he comes back to one of the elite eight with his last line. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Bringing people together is the work of the angels. And that is why you're still alive, because your personal mission has not yet been fulfilled to be useful to God in your life. I hope you agree with me. Our world needs the Christian spirit of Christians walking their talk more than ever. And I invite and challenge you now as we finish out this hard year and head into another year which is just as uncertain and may have even more challenges, whether it's economically, whether it's racially, whether it's health regarding health issues or politically or everything else, may I invite and challenge you to take James's word seriously and show up and live your faith. Amen. 
This message was a production of St. Marcus Lutheran Church. For similar content, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or our YouTube channel. For more information about how to support our urban gospel ministry in Milwaukee, please visit stmarcus.org.